you'll take your Bibles and turn to Colossians chapter 4. Colossians chapter 4 will be our text for today. Colossians chapter 4. In the Broadway musical Funny Girl, Barbara Streisand looked wistfully into the crowd and she sang, People, people who need people are the luckiest people in the world. I was going to sing it, but I thought I can't do justice to that. I talked with one of our members this past week and her doctors advised her not to get out and be in contact with crowds during this pandemic. And she said, I'm doing fine. She said, but I've learned that I really do need to be with people more than I thought I did. And I can't wait to be back at church. And I thought, church people, we need them in our lives. I appreciate Kevin's prayer when we don't let them fall through the cracks. We call them, we minister to them. We be that, and they be that for us. We've looked at encouraging words from Colossians chapter 1. If you want to turn back a page or two about Christ's church. What we talked about a few weeks ago was that God wants this church to be here, doing His will as His church family. And we're grateful for each other because Christ is working through us. We're living answers to someone's prayers somewhere at some point, either the past or now, as we grow in Christ. And we thrive because we believe Christ is our creator, our authority, and our savior. What we do together matters in this place because we have active joy. We're living out our ministry and living by the compass of God's word. That's a mouthful. Well, let's go to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2, more encouraging words we talked about were... That strong people of faith agonize that we succeed. And they want you to smile as a Christian with confidence and love. They don't want you to be led astray from the church. They want you to walk with Jesus every day. And that's whether you live here or, or you live somewhere else. But you're a member of his body, his church. You live forgiven because of the cross of Christ. It is that moment that, that just pegs it in history where the Lamb of God sacrificed His life to cut away the curse of sin. It's that event where God's plan of redemption nailed our sin to that old rugged cross. And our profession of faith in His mighty work embraced in our, in our baptism unites us to Christ's sacrifice. We live out our freedom then gained at such an awful price, such a loving act of mercy. And the purest expression of his matchless grace. And then last week we talked about Colossians chapter 3. On living as his church. We decided this world is not our home. This is not what defines us or identifies us. We're headed to share his glory. So we're just passing through. We aren't who we used to be. We cut away all of that that defined us by those earthly things that were done like a dead limb in a tree needs to be cut away. We are serving the Lord Christ in matters of heart, our worship and our relationships, like we have at home or we have at work, away from this building, but out in the world. Today, let's talk about Colossians chapter 4. Now, I'm going to start down around verse 7. I'll be back to the top of the, of the chapter in a moment. But I'm going to start down the page of that chapter because there we'll find those church people that we talked about that we need. And then we'll come back up to those six verses at the, at the front of it to learn how to become those church people 
that are needed by others. So let's start in verse 7 then. Colossians chapter 4, verse 7. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Comfort. Look at that word in, in verse 11. Comfort, one definition, is the easing or alleviation of a person's feelings of grief or distress. Coming alongside to do that. Notice in chapter 4, verses 7 and 8, O Tychicus, who was a joy to the church. The reason I know that, it says, because he was beloved and faithful as a servant of Christ, which speaks to his demeanor, it speaks to his involvement and his motivation. I would imagine that he's the one who meets you at the church building and you can't wait to see him because you could tell him anything. He'll listen. But when you walk away, your heart seems lifted. And there's just this joy that just kind of just comes out of him and gets all over you. And it's sort of like, you know, the tar baby. And, and you know, the, the thing is, is that it just kind of gets all in you. Kind of like eating honey off a comb, you know, kind of thing. It just gets all in your fingers. And, and it's good. It's sweet. You need to be that person, Jesus said in John 13. John 13, verses 14 through 17 says, If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should also do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Member to member, we share comfort by being a blessing to other members. Look at Onesimus there in chapter 4 and verse 9. Again, he is a joy, it says. He's a, a beloved, uh, as beloved, a part of the church family. He's one of their own. He's kind of a hometown boy who um, actually ran away uh, as a slave and now is coming back as a Christian. So he says, you know, then there's cousin Mark. And remember, he's the young man who first abandoned that first missionary journey in Acts chapter 13. But now he's valuable to the ongoing ministry of the gospel, Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 4. Who deserves, Paul says, a family welcome as well. And then there's Justice, a companion of merit, who with the rest makes a, what I like to call a band of brothers, who encourage, the word is used in chapter 4, verse 8, and in verse 11, and comforts, okay, by bringing them information and sharing with them the news of what's going on with each other. And it's sort of, a, well, they're the announcements for the day. How are we going to minister to people out there? How are we going to, what's going on with people's lives? What do we need to be aware of? What's the good news? You know, sometimes those answered prayers we talked about this morning in our announcements, we need to hear that news. Sometimes we need those missionaries to come in and tell us the gospel and how it's spreading. Sometimes we just need to talk to each other about this is what God, God is doing in my life this week, and this is how it's blessed me, or this is how the struggles I'm facing and I really need help this week. So we've been talking about in this series. The common thread here, though, motivates us to become that band of brothers. 
It's not just that we look at that church and go, well, that was really nice. Because the second thought that you don't want to voice, but you're thinking it is, man, I wish we had that here. And we do. That's the point. And it's really a simple recipe if you look there at Colossians chapter 4. It takes the camaraderie of fellowship. It takes a faithfulness in showing up to meet with the church. It takes being a joy to others. Welcoming each other as family, warts and all. You're going to welcome back old Onesimus, who you remember as the one that they were hunting down because he had broken the law. But now he's back and he's okay. And you know what? He's one of us. And then there's, and then there's you know, all those others you know, that you look at. And the thing is that you look at Mark. You know, Mark just went out and was a flop. You know what I think? Wheels fell off of his world. But he came back and he's coming to them and they're going to put those wheels back on with him because he's got it up and running again. Let's take joy in that. You see, this is a place where people come and we look at them not judgmentally. They've already judged themselves. They know they were a flop or they were outside the law or whatever. They know. What they need is a place where they can put the wheels back on the wagon so they can get it on down the road. We need to be that place for them. Welcoming, welcoming each other, warts and all. Sharing information that needs attention. Giving encouragement. Taking the time to listen. Sitting down next to each other to give comfort with a servant's heart for our master, Jesus Christ. Riddle story said, little Laurie was about three when one night she requested her mom's aid in getting undressed. Now, mom was downstairs and Laurie was upstairs and Mom reminded her, she said, Laurie, you know, you can undress yourself. Yes, explained little Laurie. But sometimes people need people anyway, even if they do know how to do things by themselves. Sometimes people need people. You need people. You need church people. And you need to have those church people in your life. And you need to be in those lives as church people. Second thing, we need church people who are champions for us. We need church people who are champions. Look at chapter 4 and verse 12. It says, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Hierapolis. It's Epaphras. He shows up a couple, three more times in the New Testament. But he was a true soldier of the cross. Now, one of the first commitments that a soldier makes is probably sum, sum, summarized no more eloquently than in a letter in 1865 from a General William Tecumseh Sherman to his commander, Ulysses S. Grant. And he writes to him this note. He says, I knew wherever I was that you thought of me. And if I got in a tight place, you would come if alive. I want you to know that as I look out on this audience this morning, that I see those soldiers of the cross. That I know that if I were to call in the middle of the night, you would answer. And if you could, you would help. And I hope you know that same about me. Because together, we are a family. And no matter where you are, you have somebody who's on your side. Notice the word struggling in that passage. 
And it, it's, uh, it's the same word that's used in chapter 2 and verse 1 of Paul's ongoing agony for them. Epaphras agonized for them. How is it, you know, how is this going to happen? You know, what's going on with them? Well, you know, you got, you got to get burdened for the church sometimes. And he agonized for them for their identity, their faithfulness, and their salvation. Epaphras struggles for them in his prayers. And he prays especially, it says, that they stand mature. Meaning, prepared. Look at it as ready, willing, and able. It's not that just, I pray that you show up. What I do is I pray that here, you are ready. Okay? You are equipped. You have, you have all that you need for whatever is before you. For whatever may come. And he prays that they are fully assured Wearing, remember chapter 3, verse 10, put on these things. Okay, chapter 3, verse 12, where he says, put on these things. The work of God. He says, you put on the work of God to its full extent and capacity that every believer is fully persuaded. I get the picture here that soldiers of Christ are wearing the uniform of his salvation, confident in the outcome against our enemy, prepared and ready for any battle. And that's what Epaphras is praying for. Not that you just warm a pew, but that you're equipped. When we go to battle out there, working hard for this to happen in his hometown church, he says, I need you to, to be ready because we're going to go to battle against Satan. And we know that. We know he's at work in this world. And I need you to go out there. And I don't need to be you to be the casualty. I need to know that if you go out there and you become a casualty, I will come help you. I will stand by you. We are a band of brothers together. That we will get you back to safety and we will help get the wheels back on your wagon. But you need to know the whole purpose is, is that we've got to be ready to do that now. So when you look at that, I'm saying our church needs those prayers. We need to pray for that to happen here. That people mature. That people have that confidence. That we need hard workers who grow into leadership toward those ends for our Lord's purposes. It's not rocket science. You know, the idea of, of growing into leadership is the idea that, that you're going to equip people to be that person who is the soldier of the cross. Then he says, we need church people who will challenge us onward. Who will challenge us onward. Look at chapter 4, verse 14. It says, Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. And see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. I want you to go back to chapter 4 and verse 17. Something just kind of jumped off the page there at me. Archippus. He needed a reminder. He needed a nudge to get back into the game. To take his place again in the ministry of the church. Literally the word means to show some initiative. Some resourcefulness. Some imagination. Ingenuity. Originality. Creativity. Some drive. Some, some, uh, some moxie if you will. Their sister church in Laodicea needed those reminders as well. The church at Nympha's house certainly sent their encouragement for it to happen. Now, when you take into account what he says in 4 and verse 18, the sacrifices made by many, like Paul, who went so far as to be in chains for the sake of the gospel, what are you afraid of, Christian? 
What is it that holds you back? Occupies your time or distracts your attention to what the church here in this place could become if we were to fulfill the ministry we received in the Lord. I'm always reminded of an old story. I love it. Jan Paderewski was a concert pianist. World renowned. He was backstage before a performance. And there was a, a family who came in who had a little little six-year-old, and they were seated at, seated at the front because they wanted them to see the great, the great performer do his thing on the piano. They got busy talking, looked around, and the little fella had scooted away, wandered off, couldn't find him. They looked up, they looked down, they kind of traveled to the back, and all of a sudden, they're on the stage at the front, and all of the spotlights, he wandered out on the stage, looking, looking around, and his eye caught the piano itself. And he wanders over to the piano. And he looks at it. And in horror, his parents look. And he gets up on the piano bench. And he looks at the keys. And he begins to play chopsticks. Oh, they are mortified. What do we do now? And they start to get up. And all of a sudden, from the wings, here comes Paderewski, the great pianist. And he comes and he looks out and he holds a hand up to the parents and to the, to the orchestra. And he leans down and he, and he takes his hands on both sides of the child. And while he plays chopsticks, he does this brilliant improvisation of the simple tune on both sides of it. The whole time leaning down into the boy's ear and saying, don't stop. Keep going. Don't stop. You're doing great. We need people like that in the church. We need to have people who challenge us to keep going. Don't stop. Fulfill the ministry that you have received. Stand up, step out, and get busy for it. Now, the question comes down to, how do you become one of those church members? How do you become one of these church people that, that comfort? How do you become a church member that... that uh, that, that challenges people, who champions people. How do you become that? Two things happen. Two things, I believe, in that chapter. First one is in Colossians chapter 4, starting in verse 2. The first thing I think we need to do is get consistent about prayer. He says, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word, to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Literally, the word says we need to be persistent and vigilant, grateful for the privilege and opportunity of being God's family, his church, serving him. But also, we need to be praying for open doors for evangelism. Not that just that people who don't come, come. But that doors blow open that we could get the word of God into people's hearts that they might understand their condition and that they might have an opportunity to respond to the gospel, put their Lord on in baptism and be saved from the devil's hell. That's our business. It is our commission, our purpose, our identity. We are the place where the salvation of Jesus Christ can be clearly understood. Let us make it so. But to do that, let us pray it so. Every great time in this church's history that I have known of in the last generation, every great time in this church was preceded by 
a period of prayer. Earnest prayer. Where men stood in before this congregation and the women gathered around tables and we prayed for. Let me tell you some things quickly that we prayed for. There was a time when we didn't have young children. I tell you this story often because you need to hear it. We didn't have, we were, we were, about, to, we were about to decide, we thought, to meet in the, in the foyer on a Wednesday night because we had 25 people on a Wednesday night. We could put 25 chairs there, save the air conditioning, because we didn't have any classes in the back. Because we didn't have any children. So we began to pray. What do you do? Do you wring your hands or what? You pray. And we would begin to pray for people with children. We, became, we began to pray for families and children. We began to pray for the next generation that we could equip. And God has blessed us with that opportunity. We now have Bible classes. We now have opportunity to share God's word with families. You are here this morning and your children are learning to worship. And they're hearing the word of God. That's an answered prayer. I can't tell you. I see. I counted it up the other day. I have served in this congregation. Thank you for the privilege under at least six different elderships. And right now, we need to be praying for leadership. We need to be praying for the next elders of this congregation. We need to be praying for the next deacons of this congregation. We need to be praying for them. We need to be praying for their families. We need to be praying for them because there's another generation ahead of us. There's help that's needed now, but, but there's help in that next generation. And we need those people to become prepared. We need them to know what it takes to become a leader. And we need them to step up and take that challenge. It's not rocket science. It's like we said. We just need people to be a champion. We need people to be a comfort. We need people to challenge us to become the church that God knows that we can be and He wants us to be. We need to pray for evangelism. I look around this room. How many of you, how many of you, think about it, came to the church and know the salvation of Jesus Christ because somebody sat down and opened a Bible with you? Raise your hand. Absolutely. Somebody prayed and you opened the door and they came in and they opened a Bible and they began to sit down and to explain to you the beautiful message of the gospel. We need to pray that that happen again. It started in a room right back here. It did. They prayed. They wrote down some names. They knocked on some doors. God answered the prayer and here you are. That needs to happen again. And it starts with prayer. I can stand up all, I can stand up like a monkey on an organ grinder's chain. And I can stand up here and, and thump this pulpit all I want to. But nothing's going to happen until God unlocks the door of heaven. And the key to that is your prayers. We need to pray. Secondly, we need to be consistent in our daily walk with Jesus. He says in verse 5, Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Time. That's what he's talking about there. Time. Brother Delton Williams always reminded me. I mean, we would sit in elders meeting after elders meeting. And he would look at me and we would talk about the work of the church. And he said, you know, everyone has the same 24 hours every day. It's what you do with them to prepare for eternity that matters. I think about that. Everybody has the same 24 hours a day. 
I know you don't sleep enough. I know that too many things happen. I know that you've got things that you haven't gotten done. But you have 24 hours just like anybody else. How are you using it to prepare for heaven? The psalmist says in Psalm 90 and verse 12, teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. What we're saying here is let's make the best use of our time. Let's make the best use of the words that we speak for the glory of our Lord, for the benefit of our family, our friends, and the world in light of eternity. Because, friend, when this life is over, it's all we have to look forward to. I stood at the graveside of too many people this past month and looked out over the audience and knowing that I will never see some of those people this side of heaven ever again. Those that we laid to rest and those who were at the graveside. In fact, I looked at one person and I said, I know I won't see you again because you don't have any reason to come back here anymore. And they told me, they said, you're probably right. And then she said, so I'll see you on the other side of the pearly gates. I said, that's a date. Let's make that happen. But to make that happen, we've got to make heaven the goal. James Dobson said one time, he said, of all the things that he tries to, to instill in his children as he was raising them, one of the rules of life was be there. And what he meant was, it doesn't matter how fast you are, how pretty you are, how smart you are, what you do for a living, how much money you make, it doesn't matter. Because at some point, somebody's going to forget who you are. I can go to the grocery store right now. There are people who work there, sack my groceries, don't know my name. And I've lived here almost all my adult life. They don't know who I am or what I've done. You do. I'd hope you'd miss me if I wasn't here. But the whole point is that it doesn't matter about this life. What matters is are you ready for heaven? I tell my students at school this, and I've told you this often. I said, I tell them, I said, you know, what really matters is I want to see you. 30 seconds, the other side of eternity, as you walk through the pearly gates. That's my desire for you. Are you making that happen? That's the best use of your time, and that's the best use of the words that you have to speak. Thomas Edison said one time, that opportunity is missed by most people because it is dressed in overalls and it looks like work. Church people who need people to comfort, champion, and challenge them need you to become the people who through prayer and wise living as faithful members of the Lord's church to become those church people who comfort and champion and challenge them. My message to you today, church, let's get busy. If you need to answer the Lord's invitation this morning, if you need to be baptized or you need to repent of sin, we can pray with you in some way. Would you come to the front and make your need known as together we stand? And as we sing, I serve a risen Savior.